Welcome to Now Appalachia. The Appalachian region covers 13 states in the U.S. and over 25 million people call the region home. This podcast profiles the authors and publishers with connections to Appalachia and how the region influences and impacts their creative work. And now, here's your host, author and Appalachian resident, Elliot Parker. And hello, friends. We welcome you once again to another episode of Now Appalachia. We are broadcast across the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, wherever you like to get podcasts. And I'm your host, Elliot Parker, and it's great to have you with us. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the program. And we are talking to a very talented writer who is out with her latest book. The author's name is Sheila Myers. The title of her new book is called The Truth of Who You Are, and I'm delighted to have Sheila with us today. She is an award-winning author of four previous novels. Her essays and fiction have been published in the Stone Canoe Literary Magazine, also in Embark Magazine, the Adirondack Life Magazine, and the History News Network. Her last novel, The Night is Done, was the last in a trilogy about the infamous Durant family, won the 2017 Best Book of Fiction by the Adirondack Center for Writing, and also received a Kirkus starred review. And she is a professor of ecology at a small college in upstate New York. And we are so glad to have Sheila with us today to talk to us about her new book because it's really terrific and I'm glad to have her on. So Sheila, hello to you and welcome to the program. So glad to have you with us. Yeah, it's great to be here. I wanted to ask you uh, first um, uh, a question about this time period, because this is kind of a a sweeping family saga novel, um, and we kind of follow uh, one particular character who we'll talk about here in just a second. His name is Ben Taylor, but uh, this novel sort of takes place in the Great Depression period, kind of leading up to and through World War II. As a writer, what got you interested in this time period and setting a novel in this time period? Well, mostly it was because of the U.S. uh, Civilian Conservation Corps. I really wanted to write a story about the men of the U.S. Civilian Conservation Corps during the Great Depression. And when I started looking at how to approach the story, I wanted to lead into the Great Depression and why people were attracted to joining the Corps. And a lot of times it was desperation. Uh, And then I had to pick a, a place to do it. And my parents lived in the Blue Ridge Mountain region and around Asheville area. And I visited the Smoky Mountains and learned a lot about the park infrastructure and the development of it with the core there. And I realized the history of the formation of that park required me to go back in time a little bit before the Depression to sort of lead up into how that um, became a national park. So you mentioned the Civilian Conservation Corps. I know that's a term that a lot of us remember from uh, maybe our junior high or high school history classes, or maybe some classes we took in college, but briefly kind of refresh our memory. What was the, what was their purpose and function uh, during this period in American history in which your novel takes place? Yeah. So, and actually the Corps still exists. There's actually still, you know, they, they used to have a youth Corps, conservation Corps, but there is still a civilian conservation Corps, but uh, at the time, they were started because of uh, the need to get young men, especially from the cities and rural areas that, you know, where there was just rampant um, unemployment into jobs that they would be trained in certain skill sets. But the point was also to promote and to enhance the park systems and public infrastructure in our country. And so they were put to work throughout the country doing all kinds of work. It could be building bridges, roads, uh, 
planting trees, fighting forest fires. But what you see in a lot of the parks in our country, state, local, national parks, is remnants of a lot of the infrastructure that they built. You know, they learned skills like masonry, they learned carpentry, and they planted over a billion trees. So I think the number was like 3 billion trees throughout the country. And Roosevelt, who started the Corps, uh, he had a, a deep interest in the park system and conservation. And so for him, I think it was a pet project, you might say. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Very well said. Yeah. Said. yeah. I wanna, I, you know, we'll get into to Ben in just a second because he, he's a terrific character. But one of the most poignant scenes that I loved in your book was uh, on page 43, because I think, you know, anytime we're sort of reading and looking at uh, family sagas and sort of family drama stories, kind of the inner workings of the family and how they get along and what happens to them when uh, strife or tragedy emerges is so fascinating. And I love with, in, in just a very slight but poignant way, you give us insight into what's going on uh, in this family. Uh, and it's the conversation that Pa and Ma are having about what to do with Sam, uh, who we can talk about too. But I, I love that how, you know, what, what's going on here is this conversation uh, that they're having about, you know, what are they going to do? How are they going to survive going forward? And, 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 and Pa has this line on page 44. He says, I ain't asking my sister Cornelia for anything. And Ben ain't living in a house with that low down Jimmy Beaufort. And besides, I need Ben here to help me with the fields and the livestock. Ma comes back and says, no, Ben's going to school. You promised me this. And I just love that whole couple of pages there because uh, you give us some insight into to, to the tension that his family was dealing with at this point uh, in their lives. Um, uh, but, but also how you sort of had this, this tug of realities. You had kind of Ma looking out and looking for Ben, young Ben's future, and felt like his future was education. And Pa saying, no, we're just trying to survive. We're just trying to get to the next day, the next week, the next month. Can you talk a little bit about, about their family dynamics and kind of what's going on here as we, as we see kind of a young Ben or uh, Ben's younger family or, uh, at this point in, in the story? Yeah, so the inspiration for Ma's character was actually Emma Bell Miles, who um, wrote literature. She wrote poetry. She had artwork and illustrations in the early 1920s, um, all about Appalachia. And she was an inspiration to me because she was well-educated and married into a family in the mountains that wasn't. And her husband and her had a lot of strife because of it, because she it was important to her to have her family educated. And so when I built this family dynamic, I was thinking a lot about her. I read her diaries and, and sort of just the, just how hard of a life it was living it like, like, you know, day by day and trying to scrape up the food for your family. And especially if you are well-educated and kind of have gone to college and have seen this other life out there and know what could be. Um, that's really how I was trying to frame the story that Ma saw other potential for Ben and that his father didn't because his father was just like, this is how I was brought up. You know, I, we've managed fine. We have food on the table or, you know, they're starting to struggle more because Sam's illness, but, um, you know, I, I, I wanted to kind of show that tension between, um, somebody who was a little bit more modern and somebody who the father who wasn't or didn't see um, any reason to become more modern, you might say, and leave the mountain, really. 
Absolutely. Well, one yeah. of the things that, that we learn about Ben is you mentioned the Civilian Conservation Corps. Uh, he takes a job eventually uh, in order to, to, to sort of provide and to help out uh, with the Civilian Conservation Corps. One of the things that, that they're doing is developing uh, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. But uh, there's an accident that occurs and it sort of puts Ben in a really tough situation. And it's really something that kind of follows him and haunts him throughout the rest of the book. Can you talk about what that accident is and, and what is this dilemma that he's toying with and why does this weigh on his conscience so much? Right. So having a job at the Corps, I mean, it, it was just the a lifesaver for so many young men. And it, it was easy to lose the job if you did anything wrong, got married, uh, you know, had a falling out with the captains in the system. And in this case, you know, Ben... He, he was, I don't want to say creates the accident, but he knew something was bad was going to happen. And he, uh, out of a little bit of a vengeful spirit, allows um, some defective equipment to be used. And so it impacts his cousin. And I really wanted to kind of throw that in there to sort of wrench the reality of, oh my gosh, what's he going to do now? Because he's about to get he's about to get promoted in the core, you know, and he, he's got, uh, he can get married and get promoted and move into like a, a position where he's going to be, you know, more of a, at a desk and it's going to bring in more money and all of these things. So I had to have that dilemma in there just to show like how important it was for him to, to remain in his position and what was he going to do about it. And I think for me too, it was a way to show that, you know, we all kind of go through those things where we tell those lies or we there's things that we do that we know we regret later and wish we hadn't done. And so how do you, you know, weave your way out of those things? And it's usually kind of stories and white lies. And and that, I think, was the the most um, pressing thing for him. The rest of the story was that he did that. I know you've done a lot of research uh, into this time period. So I, I was curious as to the defective equipment aspect of, of Ben's situation. Was yeah. that in reality common? Were these men using defective equipment? Was this something when they actually got into really the kind of the heavy duty machinations of what they had to do? Were they having yeah. to deal with defective equipment? And if so, why was that allowed? Where did that equipment come from? Yeah, I, ha I had to kind of look into that. So those jack systems were used a lot because they were old equipment used um, back in the day in the... Um, before the uh, Smoky Mountains became a national park, there was a lot of railroads that were in the park, okay? So they were, the railroad companies were going in to go way high up as far as they could into the mountains to pull logs out, you know, and they pulled out a lot of virgin, virgin timber. And so a lot of this leftover equipment was used by the Corps and the government, abandoned by the, you know, the companies. And, and so this jack lift was, you know, part of my storyline because I knew that that was kind of the piece of equipment that would have been used to, 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 to repair machines and, and, and engines. And I had to kind of do some research and like, what could go wrong? You know, I mean, obviously what could go wrong is the thing could fall on your head if you don't do it right. But no, they, they had people whose whole job was to make sure that the equipment was safe. They didn't want to lose men, obviously. Right. It's so they were really run like the military because a lot of the captains, a lot of the people that ran these camps were ex-military from World War One, And so, yeah, they had systems in place. And that's one of the reasons why it was such a bad thing that this accident happened and that Ben allowed it to happen, knowing that 
it was a defective lift. And so, um, yeah. And then he could lose his job because of it. So I wanted to ask you something else uh, about the book and that is the title because I love the title. It is, it is so unique. I can't think of a book that I've read recently <laughs> that has such an interesting title, but I yeah. know that it's got some, some connotations and connections. So the title, the truth yeah. of who you are, where yeah. did you come up with that title and what is yeah. its significance to the book? I, you know, I've been asked that question and I have stuck with that title from the get-go and I think it came to me and I can't give it away too much because it's the end of the book where you realize who Ben is actually addressing, (laughs) but it is like the truth of who you are, but it also has all this double entendre meaning because it's about the fact that, you know, and you, you see this at the beginning of the book, he's an obituary writer and he's looking back on time and he basically says, you know, when I'm writing obituaries about these people, I know I'm telling, I'm making up stories about them because they weren't all these, these, this, that great. No, you know, or as great as I make them sound. And it's really the idea of, you know, who, who are you? You know, what's the truth of who you are is really, you're the only one that really knows, you know, it's really deep inside, but there's also other meanings to that. And, and people that read it will see that at the end. You know, I'm a former journalist in a previous life, and it's so good to hear you say that about obituaries, because I had some good friends who worked in the newspaper industry at one time, and they would always tell me the two most important pages in the entire newspaper, the two pages you couldn't get wrong, no matter what, were the front page and the obituary page, because (laughs) that said so much about, uh, especially the obituary page, it said so much about, you know, the people being remembered, but about the community and about the, the place that yeah. a lot of these people lived and, 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 and passed away from. So it's really great yeah. to hear you say that. We're yeah, I, let a, I read a lot of obituaries when I was working on this book, <clears throat> just to get a feel for them. Did you notice any, <laughs> did you notice any, any trends or patterns? Because I know the way we do obituaries today has changed a little bit from, uh, you know, back in that time period. Any trends or patterns about those obituaries that caught your attention? Well, I, yes, I will say the ones that I was reading, the older ones, like you're saying, you know, they were all glowing and everything else, but you can kind of tell now when um, it's a family member writing it, they, they're still glowing, of course, but sometimes it can be a little colorful if the person was colorful <laughs> and add a little panache to it. So um, yeah. And you know, I think they're almost shorter now because it's really expensive to put it. My father died in January. And I just know this because we had a, my brother wrote the obituary and I was shocked at how much it costs to put in. It was only a couple paragraphs. It was like $1,500 or something, but I don't know if they had those um, same concerns back in the day. I don't know, but uh, you know, and I, when I was writing about um, the Durant family, it's just another example where I was, I found um, the main character in my Durant trilogy, the, his obituary was like a page long and it was just glowing. And this guy was kind of a jerk, you know? So, yeah, <laughs> I don't know, you know, how much of that still happens, but I suppose it does. It depends on the family, how they feel about their, uh, their loved one, because they're usually the ones writing it now, unless you're really famous. Right. Very true. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. We're speaking with author Sheila Myers today on this episode of Now Appalachia. We're talking to her about her latest book. It's called The Truth of Who You Are. Uh, Sheila is also the author of four previous fiction titles, one of those being The Night is Done, which uh, also received a starred review from Kirkus uh, Reviews and also won the 2017 Best Book of Fiction Award by the Adirondack Center for Writing. So we'll come back to the book in just a second, Sheila. But I wanted to ask you, um, you, you mentioned your, your parents had grown up in, in the Asheville area and, and that you're familiar with kind of that, that region. How did that area, that part of the country, how has that impacted you 
uh, as a person, as a professor, as a writer, those experiences kind of being in that part of the country, that part of Appalachia, how has that sort of yeah. uh, provided fuel for you as a writer? Yeah, that's a good question. So my last books were set in the Adirondack Mountains. And so I, and because I, I teach ecology, I, 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 I find myself drawn to the atmosphere of places and the natural environment. And I really believe the natural environment um, shapes culture. I mean, it just does. And so when I was visiting my parents, they, they moved there and lived there for about 20 years um, from, you know, upstate New York, where, where I'm from. And I just love the mountains and, uh, and all the trails and the, the, the vistas were just amazing. And I knew I wanted to set a book there and the Smoky Mountains made the most sense to me because it just has a huge cultural history. And actually Cadiz Cove, which I based a lot of my story on the people's oral histories from Cadiz Cove, which is a cultural heritage site at the Smoky Mountains National Park. And I found the local museums in the region in Tennessee and in um, North Carolina had some great books. You know, people had taken the oral history of a lot of the folks that used to live in the park before it became a park. And they were, you know, I don't, I don't want to say forced out, but for the most part, they were told you're going to have to get out because we're turning this into a national park. We're buying you out. You know, the government did that. Right. And so luckily though, like in the, you know, 60s, 70s, these people are still alive. And so there's books about, you know, with oral history of their lives. And there's just a great, um, just a great heritage there of these people that lived off the land and just lived in the mountains and, and did pretty well for themselves considering. So I've always been really um, intrigued by that, by how the natural environment really shapes that, you know, society in general. And so that's another reason why I wrote this book. Cause I like writing about places. Like I'm thinking of setting something in Maine and I feel like I need to go back up there and spend more time. I understand that totally. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Very good. So if we were to uh, slip into your office or slip into your uh, reading space, uh, what might we find on your reading table? What, what are you reading now? What is on oh my your gosh. red list? What, okay. What is something have... that, that you've enjoyed recently that you could share with us in terms of what you've been reading? My problem is I have four books going at the same time. So I've got my Kindle and then uh, I've got this. You're is one my of those. You're oh, it's awful. <laughs> so I've got my book club book, which I've got to finish. I'm reading Silent Spring by Rachel Carson because I, I'm thinking of setting a book in Maine and she wrote this book in Maine and I want to write about her. Um, I've been reading The Loop, which is a book about um, the wolves out in Wyoming. I mean, it goes on and on. It's ridiculous. So I've got this. I bought this at one of the bookstores. This is The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. It's been on my TBR list and I was in... Um, book no further I think it was in Roanoke and I picked that up so I mean it's ridiculous I've got so many books going at the same time uh but I'm in a book club so once a month I have to read a book that I not I, you know I wouldn't necessarily read but somebody's picked and I think that's really good and then I have a lot of author friends who ask me to read their books and and offer reviews and so I really enjoy doing that too um, I'm looking forward to having more time in the summer to do that because <laughs> sure. I'm a professor. And so my semester is ending in the next couple of weeks. So fantastic. So then you can kick back yeah. and really, really get through that to be read. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I just read a book set in Alabama. It was actually about the woman who was the dressmaker for Jackie Kennedy. It was called um, by her own design. And uh, it was really good. It was really good. Um, the author is Piper Hugely. I, I think I'm saying her name right. So yeah, I've been kind of 
by writing, uh, reading different authors' books because I've, I've crossed paths with a lot of authors in my different writing groups. And it, I think it's opened up, you know, my mind to a lot of different books because I tend to read books about the natural world. So it's good to get out of that zone. Sheila Myers is our guest on this episode of Now Appalachia. Her new book is The Truth of Who You Are. And Sheila will come back to this uh, for the last uh, few minutes that we have today. And I, I, sort of the, the, the second half of Ben's story, we were talking about Ben's story and the accident that kind of leads him uh, in, into eventually going into World War II. Um, one of the things we find out when he gets to when he gets there, when he gets involved, he gets uh, to the Battle of the Bulge and he's reunited with an old friend. Uh, from his time in the Corps. Who is that friend? What kind of relationship did they have before? And how do they interact now that they're in this, this, this situation uh, that, that's going to be, you know, maybe life, it's going to be life-changing and maybe life-ending for the people in that platoon. Can you talk a little bit about their relationship sort of before they go to uh, uh, overseas and sort of then when they re- reach each other again or meet each other again? Yeah, Tony. So Tony is, you know, your wingman, right? Everybody's got a wingman. And Tony is Ben's wingman in the Corps. And he's from New York City. And he's not, you know, familiar with the mountains and the snakes and the, the you know, just everything, the insects. And, uh, and so, and Tony kind of gloms on to Ben as a buddy, best buddy. And he's just one of those people, it's like a puppy, you know, following him around and they become just, you know, inseparable friends. And Tony's there and witnesses the tragic accident. And, you know, when they separate and go their separate ways, Ben keeps looking for him and trying to find out where, where, what ended up happening to Tony. And finally, during the Battle of the Bulge, he, he, he finds Tony. And I had to do a lot of research about the Battle of the Bulge because I'm not a really big World War II literature fan. I just, you know, kind of burn out on it a little bit. But I was just shocked at the ferocity of that battle and how ill-prepared the United States army was just not expecting what that the Germans were going to do what they did. So it was a really good. And then what was also interesting to me was again, it was set in the mountains because it was the Ardennes mountains and there, the, some of the literature I read was that the men that were from the Allegheny region or not Allegheny. Um, what am I thinking? Virginia, um, Oh, Skyline Drive, Skyline, Skyline Drive. Drive. Yeah. They actually named one of the roads like a, it was like an inside joke. They called it Skyline because it just re- reminded them so much of where they came from in Virginia. And so I, I thought, oh, my gosh, this has got to be the setting of where they end up meeting is Battle of Bulge, the Ardennes Mountains, because it was just, again, so atmospheric. So that's how I ended up choosing that battle. Fantastic. You know, Sheila, one of the things I loved about your book and one of the things that I think you did so well is, you know, with, with these family saga stories, um, you know, they kind of move forward in time and you kind of have to move the reader forward through time. But but I think you did such a good job of sort of getting giving everybody in the story involved in the plot a little bit of time. We talked about Pa and Ma earlier. Uh, I thought that that scene where they're talking about Ben's future just revealed so much. Uh, you give us some insight into the conditions as the men were working on this in the Great Smoky Mountains, some of the men that work there that Ben comes across. And of course, the Battle of the Bulge. Uh, you do just such a great job of kind of giving just enough of those periods as Ben's story moves forward. And I wanted to ask you, as a writer, is that difficult to do? How do you do that when you're dealing with sort of a fictional character in, in realistic times or experiencing realistic things that are sort of common knowledge to, to most people? How do you structure it to where you give enough attention to everything that needs to be uh, 
written about, but give enough attention to all the characters and all the main people so that everybody sort of has their pages in the sun. But at the same time, you're not slowing down the story. You're, you're moving us to the end. How, how do you structure yeah. all that? How do you how do you work all that? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think that is really, it is the most difficult part of a book when you have a family saga, because you also have to kind of keep track of what age everybody is. And I was constantly writing notes like Ben should be this age now and Mary's this age and, you know, all that. Um, well, I think one of the things, the way I structure books in general is I think scenes and I'm, I'm always thinking scenes and who's going to be in it and what's the point of that scene and how is it moving the plot forward? And so no matter what introduce what character I'm introducing if they're um I don't introduce them unless they need to be there for the scene I mean of course there's always those you know general people that make comments in the background and you know that's just for jokes or whatever but um you know everyone had a role to play like Finn we don't talk we haven't talked about Finn but for example he was kind of the guy the guy that reminded Ben of you know what they were losing by turning the whole place into a national park and so I always had um, in my head, like I wasn't going to introduce a character unless there was a reason for them to be there. And that's something you learn, I think, as you go along as a writer, because my first book, somebody made a comment that they thought I was like, was it Tolstoy or something? You know, the Russians that introduced so many characters and it's hard to keep track of. And so I've kind of learned how to not to do that because <laughs> it does get really it can re bog down a reader. Um and that's what I did. And, and I also, the only other thing that was really hard about this book was I started Bennett, I think 15 years old, and I had to get his voice right at 15 and then mature it as I went. And that was something that took some time and, and I had to remind myself, what age is he right now, you know? So Sheila, what are you working on next? What's your, what's your next project? What is your next idea? Where are you in the process? What are you working yeah. on? Yeah. So I am doing a lot of research about um, Rachel Carson, who wrote Silent Spring and pretty much started the, it won the National Book Award and the Pulitzer, or I think it won the Pulitzer. She died in 1962, but it started the environmental movement. Uh, and so I'm thinking of setting a book in Maine, but not necessarily her as the main character, but just a peripheral character. I haven't quite slammed it down. So in the meantime, I'm writing screenplays on some of my, um, based on some of my short stories. And you know how you have stories that are just sitting on your computer and you're not sure if they're ever going to get published. I've, I've kind of gotten into screenplay writing and I actually enjoy it. It's a whole different way of writing, but um, it's kind of, it's, it's good for the craft to, to kind of go out your zone a little bit. So I've been doing that and I might spend time on that this summer. Sounds great. Sounds great. Yeah. So let's finish up with you today, Sheila. If anyone wants to get in contact with you to talk to you about writing, about the research you've been doing, uh, both before and on this book, uh, where can they find you? How can they get in contact with you, first of all? And then secondly, where can they get copies uh, of the truth of who you are? Okay. So I want to put the plug in for independent bookstores, of course. <laughs> and you can get it um, on um, IndieBound and, and any of those, you know, links. And if you go to my website, it's just basically SheilaMyers.com. Um, the first page has all those links. So it has, you know, the IndieBound, it has Amazon, it has Barnes and Nobles, it has all of that. And the ebook is for sale for $2.99 for the next week or so, because there's going to be a book bub release, new release kind of deal. And, uh, and then um, the paperback and there's a hard copy available. So you can order it through your bookstore. You can order it through Amazon or Barnes and Noble, or it's available everywhere, basically. The title of her newest book is called The Truth of Who You Are. Our guest today has been Sheila Myers. She is the author of, uh, award-winning author of four previous novels, 
Uh, her most recent novel, The Night is Done, won the 2017 Best Book of Fiction by the Adirondack Center for Writing and also received a Kirkus starred review. And her new book, The Truth of Who You Are, about Ben Taylor and his job with the Civilian Conservation Corps during the Great Depression leading up to uh, World War II, uh, is a terrific look back in time as to a great period in history, but also uh, a wonderful family drama, family saga story that unfolds and is just uh, very rich and very layered and nuanced. And it'll be something that you want to add to your to be red pile as we move through uh, the spring and summer of 2022, most definitely. So Sheila, uh, thanks so much for the conversation. Congratulations on the book. And uh, as you get that next Rachel uh, Carson project finished, we'd love to have you back on to talk about it. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Elliot. We want to take a moment as we finish up on this episode of Now Appalachia to say thanks to the executive producer of our program and the executive producer of all the podcasts that you hear on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Her name is Pam Stack. So Pam, thanks for all the off-site work and support and assistance that you provide. We also want to remind you that this is a copyrighted podcast that is owned and operated by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Well, that is going to do it for us this time on Now Appalachia, but please come again next time. And in the meantime, stay well and see you someplace soon, I hope. You've been listening to Now Appalachia. This is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. For questions or comments about this program and to learn more about the host, Elliot Parker, and his books, visit his website at www.elliotparker.com. Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way next from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network.